Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. Now, if you're interested in the discipleship program, we would like for you to write to the ministry. The address of the ministry is Post Office Box 81, Strasburg, Ohio, 44680, or you can send us an email, and our email address is contactus at hebroots.org. And we will um, enable you to get a hold of other teachings in the discipleship program. This teaching is the first of a series on explaining and teaching that Yeshua is Yahweh from a Hebraic perspective. And this teaching is going to cover Yeshua being the creator or a Hebraic view of creation. And what we're seeking to do in this teaching is to give you the Hebraic background of understanding John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 18, and then Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, and Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. So let me share with you these verses of which we're trying to give you a background understanding regarding. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. By who? By the Word. And who is the word? It is Yeshua. And without him, that is the word or Yeshua, was not anything made that was made. In him, in the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So in this teaching, we're going to show you the connection between creation and the concept of light and the separating of the light from the darkness. Then, in John chapter 1, verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. We're going to explain to you this concept. However, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of of the Father, he has declared him. What's the meaning of this in the bosom of the Father? We're going to explain that to you in this teaching. So now let's go to Romans in chapter 1 in verse 20, where it is written, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So here it says that the invisible things are clearly seen, and it refers to the Godhead. 
how do we understand this concept of the Godhead? Then, in Colossians, in chapter 1, in verses 15 and 16, it is written, Who is the image of the invisible God? What's this concept of an image of the invisible God? The firstborn of every creature. For by him, that is the image of the invisible God, were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were made by him and for him. And then in Colossians chapter 2 in verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. What's the Godhead? The fullness of the Godhead bodily or in the flesh. And then finally, we're going to understand Hebrews in chapter 1 in verses 1 through 3. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past under the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So, it is these scriptures and the concepts that are contained in them is what we're going to be teaching you in this session, which we are entitling Yeshua the Creator or the Hebraic View of Creation. So let's understand the background of these concepts which we've just shared with you in the New Testament. To begin with, we need to understand that the God of Israel, and in this context, we're referring to God the Father, he's understood by the term Ein Sof. And what does Ein Sof mean? It's Hebrew, and Ain means without, and Sof means definition. And so the real way to understand our Heavenly Father is you can't define him. He doesn't have definition. And so in Isaiah, in chapter 40, in verse 18, it is written, To whom then... Will we liken God, or what likeness will we compare unto him? For, and now this is a quote from the Sanchino Zohar to Exodus regarding understanding Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18. That in the beginning, before shape and form had been created, he was without form and similitude. Wherefore, he designates himself Ain Sof, or the one without definition, or the limitless one. He has neither shape nor form. 
and there is no vessel that could contain him, no means to comprehend him. Now, looking at the definition of Ein Sof from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, it is explained this way. Ein Sof is understood as the deity, or the God of Israel, prior to his self-manifestation in the production or the creation of the world. Ein Sof, which is Hebrew, may be translated as no end, unending, there is no end, or infinite. Now looking at understanding the concept of Ein Sof, we are going to now refer to the book Messiah, Volume 3, by Avi Ben Mordecai on page 102, he explains, Ein Sof is not a name. It is a Hebrew term that means without border or no end or without definition. So how do we understand the concept of Ein Sof? Well, we understand that Ein Sof represents nothing and everything at the same time. Let's look at this concept through this visual example. There you see inside a box. And inside the box you see white space. And this explanation comes from Messiah, Volume 3 by Avi Ben Mordecai, page 103, that if you look inside the box, the white space, you're going to see two things at the same time. You're looking at nothing, but at the same time, in that box, you're seeing everything. You're seeing nothing and everything at the same time. So this is one of the concepts of Ein Sof, or not having definition. From the Sanchino Zohar to Exodus, it explains the following. Ein Sof cannot be known, nor how it makes beginning or end, just as the number zero produces beginning and end. Let's look at a number line. And in looking at a number line, and this example comes from the book Messiah, Volume 3, page 103 by Avi ben Mordecai. If you specify a number line and you plot zero, and if you add everything to the left of zero, which are negative numbers, and everything to the right of zero, which is positive numbers, and you combine everything to the left of zero and everything to the right of zero, it adds up to zero. However, the numeral line that you would be drawing represents not only zero, but it represents infinity at the same time. 
And so this is another way of looking at the concept of Ein Sof, or without border, or without definition. Next, we are going to associate Ein Sof with light. And we're going to do this by looking at the gematria, or the numerical value in Hebrew of Ein Sof, as well as light. Now, gematria is assigning a numerical value to a Hebrew word because every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. So every word in Hebrew has a numerical value. So if we take the Hebrew letters of Ein Sof and add up their numerical value, it comes to 207. Likewise, if you take the Hebrew word for light, which is or, the numerical value of or is 207. So because the numerical value of Ein Sof equals the numerical value of or, which is 207, we can make an association between the two that Ein Sof is associated with Light, And this explanation comes to you from the book Messiah, Volume 3 by Avi ben Mordecai, page 107. Now, understanding that the Hebraic view of explaining Ein Sof, the one without definition, is light, we can look at 1 John chapter 1 in verse 5, where it is written, this then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so one of the primary concepts that we associate with Ein Sof in describing him is light. We also can look at 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse 16, where we can see this concept, where it is written, who only has immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 18, it is written, no man has seen God at any time. Now, this is a reference to who we refer to as God the Father or Ein Sof. John chapter 5, verse 37. Yeshua said these words, And the Father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. So why is that so? Because he's Ein Sof, and he dwells in light that no man can approach. We're also going to look at John chapter 6, verse 46, as well as 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12. And in doing so, we're seeing multiple verses in the New Testament where it is stated that no one has seen God at any time. 
John chapter 6, verse 46. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Yeshua there is referring to himself. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. So this concept of Ein Sof being without definition and Ein Sof, the numerical value in Hebrew being associated with light, is the description that we are given of the God of Israel in the New Testament. Now, how is it that one who is without definition, one who is zero in infinite at the same time, how is he going to create a world from himself? And the idea is he's going to take a part of himself and within himself, he's going to create a space. And from that space, he's going to create a world. And so what the God of Israel did to create the world is similar to the concept of a woman who has a womb within her. So from the book, Messiah, Volume 3, by Abi ben Mordecai, page 108, he explains this in the following way. Now, at some point within the realm of infinity, which is filled with the light of Ein Sof, the eternal, boundless, and limitless one, there was a desire to bring creation into existence. But before he could do that, he had to make room for the creation within himself. And so the eternal light of Ein Sof had to create a space or withdraw a part of himself in order to reveal a part of himself or to bring about creation. And this concept of him creating a space within himself to bring about creation is called contracting. And the Hebrew word for contraction is zimzum. So from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, zimzum is defined as contraction or constriction. And it's the concept that God the Father began the process of creation by contracting his infinite light in order to allow for a conceptual space within himself. And in this conceptual space will be brought forth a finite and seemingly independent world. And as a result of Zimzum, or the God of Israel, creating within himself a space for a physical world, he also thus brings into um, an arena free will at the same time. So from the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, that this contraction of forming an empty space in which creation could begin is known as Zimzum. Zimzum results in the conceptual space in which the physical universe 
and free will can thus exist. Now, if we look at the Hebrew word olam, which means world, that in the Hebrew language, the word olam also communicates the understanding of concealing or hiding something. So we have the creation being expressed as a physical entity which will have free will, but within this creation, there is two things that's brought about at the same time. The appearance of the concealment of the creator, but through the creation, the creator at the same time is going to reveal himself to this physical world. So from the book, Messiah, Volume 3, by Avi ben Mordecai, page 106, he explains the meaning of the Hebrew word alam. He says, concealment is based on the Hebrew root for the expression world, which is olam. In English, we tend to think of universe as a self-contained unit. But in Hebrew, the word universe or world or olam means to conceal or to hide. Now, a very important principle that we need to understand is that when you give a name to something, you automatically um, then have a limitation of it. And a name usually allows us to understand the characteristic or the attribute of something. So once we take the God of Israel, who really in his true essence has no definition. And then we attempt to try to share or communicate his attributes. And the way we do that is through a name that is associated with him. The name brings about or expresses a limitation. From the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, it is explained this way. Judah Hayat in his commentary, Minhat Yehuda, on the Ma'aket Alahat, gives the following explanation of the term Ein Sof. Any name of God which is found in the Bible cannot be applied to the supreme deity prior to his self-manifestation in the creation. Moreover, a name implies a limitation in its bearer. And this is impossible, meaning a limitation, in connection with Ein Sof. So Ein Sof, the one who is without definition, he is going to step down to the term and the understanding of Elohim which is the Hebrew word for God. And presenting to you this concept from Avi ben Mordecai's book, Messiah, volume 3, page 104. Now looking at Genesis in chapter 1 and verse 1, it is written, 
in the beginning, Elohim created the heaven and the earth. And so it is through the name Elohim that the world was created, of which Ein Sof is choosing to express or communicate himself in the created or the physical world. From the book, The Middle Pillar, by James Trim on page 11, he further explains how the name Elohim is a term of limitation. Ain is the Hebrew word meaning there is not or without, while sof is a Hebrew word meaning end, termination, border, or definition. Since Elohim is Ain Sof, Elohim is without definition. But this creates a problem. The minute we attempt to define Elohim, we've given him borders. And once we define Elohim, then we are no longer talking about Ain Sof or one without definition. Continuing and looking at the book, The Middle Pillar by James Trim on page 11. According to Jewish tradition, there is a distinction between Ein Sof and the term Elohim. As Rabbi Ari Kaplan explains, in general, none of the names of God refer to Ein Sof. The names used in the Bible and elsewhere merely refers to the various ways through which God manifests himself in creation. The name Elohim is used throughout the first chapter of Genesis. From the book, Messiah, volume 3, page 101, by Abi Ben Mordecai, He's going to explain that the term Elohim describes finite attributes or characteristics or understandings of the limitless one or Ein Sof. In the Hebrew Torah prophets and writings, the creator is said to be Elohim. And he is described by various attributes. These Ideas are, by their very nature, boundaries and limitations. Elohim is a microcosm and measurable being of something that is immeasurable or infinite. In looking at the book, Anticipating the Redemption, Volume 1 on page 57, by Rebbe Menachem Schneerson, in the middle of the page, he explains that the name Elohim is associated with the principle or the concept of independent existence. To make possible the perception of independent existence in the physical world, the actual creation came about through the name of Elohim. Rabbi Schneerson further goes on to explain in his book, Anticipating the Redemption, Volume 1, page 64, that the term Elohim is associated with the concept of time and space. As is well known, 
The world is structured according to the dimensions of time and space because its creation comes about through the name Elohim. So the one who is without definition, he creates a physical world and the way he's expressing this physical world, he's doing so through the name Elohim, which describes finite attributes of Ein Sof. Now, if we look at the Art Scroll of Genesis, volume 1, page 33, they will explain some of the attributes of Elohim. The term Elohim communicates God as being chief or one having authority. It communicates the concept of a human judge as well as one that is all-powerful, omnipotent, the mighty one, and one who is eternal and everlasting. So if we want to put in human terms an understanding of one who was without definition, we apply a name to it, and the name has attributes. And these attributes give a finite description of an infinite one. Now, it is through the term Elohim that the limitless one, Ein Sof, reveals himself to a physical or a finite world. From the book Messiah, Volume 3 by Avi ben Mordecai, page 104. So how is it that we living in a created world can know the one who is limitless and without definition? Can we know him? Well, the answer is yes, but the way we know him is through the attributes of the limitless one, the attributes of Ein Sof, expressed through the term Elohim. Now, if we look at Elohim in Hebrew and add up the numerical value of Elohim, we're going to see that it's equivalent to the Hebrew word for nature. They're both going to have a numerical value of 86. And therefore, we can draw an association to understanding what Elohim is communicating to us about Ein Sof. The Hebrew gematria for Elohim is the sum of the Hebrew letters Aleph, Lamed, He, Yod, and Mem. And it produces a numerical value of 86. If we look at the Hebrew word for nature, ha-teva, it also has a numerical value of 86. It consists of the Hebrew letters he, tet, bet, and ayin. Therefore, the numerical value is 86. So Elohim is going to be associated with the limitless one revealing himself 
through nature. Through what we see is the result of a physical world that gets created. And in looking at nature, not everyone in the created world is going to have a full revelation of who it is that actually created the world. And so this concept is associated with the word Elohim. But the full revelation and the full understanding by the creation and of man, of who the creator is, that is associated with the term yod Hey vav Hey. The creation is meant to reveal Ein Sof to a finite world. And thus we can understand Romans chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 where it is written. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world and that is referring to him as Ein Sof are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. That's the physical world through the concept of Elohim in creating the world. Even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they, those human beings who are living in the created world, are, by seeing the physical world, without excuse that there is a creator in the universe. From the book, The Middle Pillar by James Trim on page 12, he explains the following. The term or the title Elohim actually refers to the finite reflection of Ein Sof. So the term Elohim is an image or a blueprint of Ain Sof. And this image of Elohim serves as the blueprint for man. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, 1, it is written, In the beginning Elohim created the heaven and the earth. Then we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, So Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim created he him. Male and female created he them. So man is made in the image of Elohim, who is the expressed image of Ain Sof. From the book, Messiah, volume 3, page 101, by Avi ben Mordecai, he explains this concept, how Elohim is the image of Ain Sof. Since man has definable attributes or characteristics and is made in the image of Elohim, 
then this means that Elohim must also have definable attributes, boundaries, limitations, and characteristics. It is therefore logical to conceive that Elohim is a definable image of something else that is undefinable or ain sof. This is what Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 is explaining. Regarding Yeshua, it is written of him in these verses. Colossians 1.15 says, regarding Yeshua, who is the image of the invisible God. And that's referring, the invisible God is referring to Ein Sof. The image of the invisible God is the firstborn of every creature. And it's through the image of the invisible God that the world was created. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So obviously, Paul had this concept of creation in the Hebraic explanation of creation because this is what he is referring to in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. And he's tying this Hebraic understanding of creation and how Ein Sof can reveal himself in a physical world in associating it to Yeshua and who he is. Now, let's try to understand how the world was created by looking at a picture. And we're going to begin by representing the infinite universe as a circle. And... Um, this example comes from the book Messiah, volume 3, page 108, by Avi ben Mordecai. And then, once we begin with this circle representing the, in the infinite universe, we then proceed on to the following concept. That from this circle within the circle which is in our example is going to represent the infinite universe there's going to be a space within this infinite universe which in human terms is best likened to contain within a woman is a womb and this is where creation is going to take place so I refer to this event in the description of it as the womb of creation. From the book Messiah, Volume 3 by Avi ben Mordecai, page 108, he explains, Zimzum, which means contraction, when Ein Sof compressed some of his infinite essence into himself, he formed a vacuum 
or you might think of it as a black hole, much like a womb within himself. This womb was to be the place that he would come to form all of creation. Without this newly vacated space that he brought into existence, there could be no creation because he fills all in all. But because of the infinite eternal light wanted to reveal himself, he had to first take a part of himself out to make room for what he was about to put in. So this visually can be represented this way. We have the circle which represents the infinite universe and contained within itself is a vacuum, a space, a black hole, a womb. From Messiah, Volume 3, by Avi ben Mordecai, page 109. From the same book, the same page, it is stated or explained, with Zimzum, Ein Sof made a dedicated space where the mystical, invisible, infinite light was no longer actively involved. In this womb, Ein Sof willed to make his creation or the physical world. Now, here is the interesting part. Since man is considered to be a little world in Jewish thought, a small world or, conce or concealment made in his image, it makes sense that a woman who is taken out of a man is built with a vacated space within her own body in order to bring forth creation. So in understanding how creation happened through understanding how a woman is made, we know that the woman is not in the womb, but the womb is in the woman. So the physical world is a part of the one who created the world. So the purpose of this black hole or this womb was to have a space where Ain Sof can conceal himself with the ultimate goal that in the fullness of time, he's going to reveal himself to his created world. From the book Messiah, volume 3, page 109, Ein Sof has gone to the extent of concealing a part of himself in order to reveal a part of himself through the intricate shaping of a womb for his creation. So once he does this, what happens? Well, that's where we have Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. This would then be a pictorial representation of this. We have the circle representing the infinite universe and contained within the infin infinite universe is a part of Ein Sof, a womb from which he's going to bring forth creation. But in order to do it, he is light, and so light has to come into the, the womb, the black hole. And this light then is referred to as the light of Ein Sof 
And alternatively, it's referred to as the light of the Messiah. From Avi ben Mordecai's book, Messiah, volume 3, page 110, he explains how the light of Ein Sof is associated with the womb of creation. Following the creation, the black hole or vacated space brought about when the eternal, infinite light of Ain withdrew part of its light from within itself was the manifestation of a brilliant line of high-intensity spiritual light. As that light emerged in the womb, it came as a blinding, infinite flash like lightning. And it had great force associated with it. This line of light is referred to as the light of Ain Sof. This light of Ain Sof is referred to by the rabbis as the light of Messiah. From the book Messiah, Volume 3 by Avi ben Mordecai, page 111, he explains, With the resulting entry of the light of Ain Sof into his self-generated womb or vacated space, there was brought about a blinding explosion in formation of a sphere of pure spiritual energy. At this stage of the creation, Ain Sof had brought about from within himself a pattern for the rest of his work. The line of light was the light of Elohim, also called the light of Messiah, the aged one and the white head, referred to in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 13. Now, referring to the Midrash Rabbah, Genesis 2, 4, it is explained, what was hovering over the mass of darkness in the creation? It was the spirit of Elohim, understood by the rabbis as being the light and spirit of the Messiah. So it is written in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. If we look at that verse, Genesis in chapter 1 and verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. And the Midrash Rabbah explains that the spirit of Elohim that hovered alludes to the spirit of the Messiah, as it is written in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, and the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him. Now, this light filled the black hole of creation. From the book Messiah, volume 3, by Avi ben Mordecai, page 112, he explains... It was in this mystical womb that all creation began when Ain Sof forced a thread of his blinding pure energy and light through the darkness where it would then emerge as a sphere of perfect hidden light displacing the darkness in the same way that turning on a light switch displaces the darkness in a pitch black room.
Coming out of eternal light and passing through the darkness of the womb, the line of light exploded into a sphere of supernal light in the middle of the womb. This was the light of Elohim, or the light of Messiah. Now, this would represent a pictorial representation of this description. And this is given to us in the book Messiah, volume 3, page 114 by Avi Ben Mordecai. Now, it is with this background that we could understand then John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, where it is written, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word here is referring to Yeshua, the Messiah. Regarding the word who was in the beginning, it says in verse 3, that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not now with what we've covered so far we should be able to understand not only john chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 but what john is explaining in verse 18 where he writes no man has seen god at any time that's referring to ain sof and that is what's stated as well in the Zohar. And then John 1.18 goes on to explain that it's the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father. And this could be understood as the light of Ain Sof. Because it was the light of Ain Sof that was the light that penetrated the womb of creation. And it's this light that declares Ain Sof to that physical world. Now, from the Sanchino Zohar to Exodus, it's going to give an explanation of Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, where it is written, Let there be light, and there was light. Why, it may be asked, was it necessary to repeat the word light in this verse? The answer is, is that the first light refers to the primordial light. From the art scroll of Genesis, volume 1, page 40, the rabbis explained that no human could gaze on that primordial light. The light that was created that day was so exceedingly intense that no human being could gaze upon it. The rabbis teach that that primordial light, because no human could gaze upon it, it then got stored away for the righteous. And this is explained in the Sanchino Zohar to Genesis, where it is written, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. This is the, the supernal primordial light 
when this light shone on what was below, its radiance spread from one end of the world to the other. But when it observed the sinners of the world, it hid itself away. Continuing on in the Sanchino Zohar to Exodus or Shemot, in speaking about this primordial light that's stored away for the righteous, goes on to say, For in spreading radiance on all things, the primordial light, as it shone forth on all sides, also shot forth sparks. When it was established, God stored it away. For whom? He stored it away for the righteous. From the Sanchino Zohar to Exodus, in explaining Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, let there be light and there was light, said Rabbi Jose, that light was hidden and kept in store for the righteous in the world to come. As already stated, for it is written, a light is sown for the righteous. Psalm 97, verse 11. Thus that light that functioned in the world only on the first day of creation, after that it was hidden away and no longer seen, that is, in this physical world. Now, since this light was hidden away for the righteous, we're going to see that this is how the new heavens, the new earth, specifically the new Jerusalem, is described for us in the Brit HaRashah in Revelation chapter 21. Now, in the Art Scroll of Genesis, volume 1, page 380, the rabbis explain that they believe that there is a heavenly Jerusalem or there is a Jerusalem on high. This heavenly Jerusalem or the Jerusalem on high is spoken of in Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 18 and verse 22, where it is written, You've not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burn with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, but you've come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So this heavenly Jerusalem is referred to as the heavenly Mount Zion. This is what's being described in Revelation chapter 21 in verse 23. That the city, speaking of the new Jerusalem, had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So that light that was stored away for the righteous, we see being described for us in Revelation 21, being associated with the New Jerusalem. The next thing we need to understand and looking at the Hebraic view of creation, is once this light penetrated the black hole or the womb of creation with the ultimate desire to bring about a physical world, that light, the light of Ein Sof, was so strong, so powerful that that which was there to receive that light could not hold it. And so it, the vessels that were meant to hold the light 
couldn't hold it. It was too much electricity. The power was too high. And so thus, we have the shattering of the vessels. And the shadowing, or we see that the shattering of the vessels then created an opportunity for those shattered vessels to be restored or to be put back to its original state. And so we see then that in creation, we have this concept of something breaking and then something is to be restored from the breaking. So we have in creation the principle of exile, the breaking, and redemption, the restoration or the repairing, which the Hebrew term for this is tikkun. This is explained by Avi ben Mordecai in the book Messiah, volume 3, page 159, that according to the Jewish teaching, after Ein Sof performed zimzum, and that was the contraction or the creating of the vacated space, and withdrew a part of himself into himself, creating this black hole or womb, his perfect and all-powerful line of light rushed into the cavity of the vacated space and created vessels that would contain the light of the newly emerging sephirot. Some of the vessels, presumably made out of thicker spiritual light, were unable to comprehend such intense spiritual energy since they were made to only receive and not give, and thus they shattered into tiny pieces called shells or husks. And as a result, we have a principle that the darkness cannot comprehend the light of creation. So in describing that the Word created the heavens and the earth, and in John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It then says in John chapter 1, verse 5, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness, or there was a part of the creation that could not comprehend the light. It could not receive. It could not contain the high energy of that light of Ein Sof. From the book Messiah, Volume 3, by Avi ben Mordecai, page 160, he explains that here the Brit Hadashah, or the New Covenant, echoes the Genesis account telling us that the vessels created to receive the light of Ein Sof were not able to understand or comprehend the light, meaning that they could not contain the burst of light emerging from the original mystical Adam Kadmon or the blueprint of ancient Adam. And therefore the vessels exploded and shattered. From the Wikipedia Encyclopedia explaining the concept of Zimzum, Isaac Laria introduced three central themes in explaining creation. One, Zimzum. We've covered that. 
That is how Ein Sof contracted himself and thus through the contraction was able to create the world. And then the next element was the shattering of the vessels which brings about the need for a repair or a tacoon. And that's the third theme or the element that was a part of creation. And that these three things, that is the contraction, the shadowing, because the, the vessels could not contain the high energy of the light of Ein Sof, then created a need for there to be a repairing of that which was shattered. Zimzum describes the first step in the process by which God began the process of creation by withdrawing his own essence from an area, creating an area in which creation could begin. Shefirat Hakalim, that is, the shattering of the vessels, describes how, after Zimzum, God created the vessels, Hakalim in Hebrew, in the empty space, and how when God began to pour his light into the vessels, they were not strong enough to hold the power of God's light. And thus the vessels or the receptacles of the light shattered. The third step is tikkun. And tikkun is the process of gathering together and raising the sparks of God's light that were carried down with the shards of the shattered vessels. Since Zimzum is connected to the concept of exile, and Tikkun is connected to the need to repair the problems of the world of human existence, therefore, we see that we have the principles of breaking and restoration or exile and redemption in creation itself. Now, let's look at some examples of this in the scripture. And these examples are going to come from Avi Ben Mordecai's book, Messiah, Volume 3, page 165. Israel was a unified body, Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. And later, they were broken up into two houses, 1 Kings chapter 11. But ultimately, they await repair and restoration, the uniting of the 12 tribes of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 15 through 17. Adam was a unified body, Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 15. Then he was split up into two, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, but is reconstituted and brought back together as one through marriage. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Our next example, example number three. The ten words or commandments were a body of laws that were broken into two. Exodus chapter 32 verse 19. And then restored as one. Exodus chapter 34 verses 1 through 4. The Messiah, Yeshua, was broken at his first coming and being a suffering Messiah by dying on the tree. 
Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, and is restored as the kingly Messiah, Messiah, son of David. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Next example, we die in the image of the first Adam, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, and are resurrected in the image of the second Adam, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 49. And our last example is that the covenant of Torah is broken, Exodus chapter 32, verses 19 and 20, and then it is restored, Jeremiah Chapter 31, verse 31 through 33. Our job, our ministry, is to be a partner with the Creator in restoring or repairing the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, it is written, "...and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself." By Messiah Yeshua and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And then it goes on to say, once again, that he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, in order to understand the creation and how Ain Sof, the one who is without definition, creates a physical world, and then reveals himself to that world. Ein Sof himself is likened and associated to light. And we can connect the light example or association to the concept of electricity. When it comes from the power company, it's at a higher state than when it gets received in our homes. So the initial light or the energy that is produced of electricity is um, lessened. And so the way we understand how Ein Sof reveals himself to the physical world, Ein Sof being a light, is um, his revelation gets broken down into various attributes. And we can conceptually understand this as light going into a prism and then we have multiple rays that are a result of that prism. So we can see this concept from Avi ben Mordecai's book, Messiah, Volume 3, page 146. Now, re regarding this prism and what comes out on the other side of the prism as the light comes in, that it is taught by the rabbis that the rays of this prism are referred to as sephirot. And they teach that there are ten sephirot. From the book, The Middle Pillar, by James Trim, on page 20, he explains, according to Sefer, or the book of Yetzerah, there are ten 
Seferot. This is Sefer Yetzirah 1.4. What is a Seferah? A Seferah is, in a way, a filter that holds and transforms a certain part of this light into a particular force or attribute. A Seferah is the way that the Creator reveals a part or an attribute or a quality of himself or his will in the creation. The light divides into ten different gradations of its original emanation, each with its own qualities, characteristics, and actions. In looking at these ten sephirot, also known as the sephiratic tree, it is regarded that there are three upper sephirot, and this is explained in the book The Middle Pillar by James Trim, page 21. And these three upper sephirot are called da'at, or knowledge, also referred to as the cater or the crown. Secondly, hakma or wisdom. And thirdly, bina, understanding. These three upper sephirot are drawn from Exodus in chapter 31, verse 3, where it is written, And I have filled him with the spirit of Elohim in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. This explanation comes from the book The Middle Pillar by James Trim, page 20. These three upper sephirot are also described in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, as it is written. With wisdom, a house is built. With understanding, it is established. And with knowledge, its rooms are filled. Now, there are three upper sephirot, but seven lower sephirot. And this is explained in James Trim's book, The Middle Pillar. On page 21, and these seven lower sephirot are called gadula or greatness, also known as chesed or mercy. Number two, gevara, which means power, strength, severity. Number three, tefaret, which means glory or beauty. Number four, netzak, means victory or splendor. Number five, chod, which means majesty. Number six, kol which is the all, also called the yesod, or the foundation. And number seven, malchut, which means the kingdom or kingship. Now, these seven lower sephirot are drawn from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, where it is written, Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and you are exalted as head above all. This is explained in the book, The Middle Pillar by James Trim, pages 20 and 21. Now, looking at the Sephardic tree, it is regarded that there are three pillars 
of these ten sephirot. And these three pillars are called the Godhead. The ten sephirot are arranged on a chart known as the Tree of Life under three columns known as the three pillars of the Godhead. To look at a pictorial representation of the ten sephirot as the Tree of Life, we have the following picture for you to show you this. Now, these ten sephirot, being referred to as the tree of life, we can connect this with the Torah, which is called the tree of life as well. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 18, it is written, My son, forget not my Torah, but let your heart keep my commandments. She, that is the Torah or the commandments, is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retains her. We can see how the Torah is the tree of life from Revelation chapter 22, verses 13 and 14, as it is written. Yeshua says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have right to the tree of life and they enter in through the gates into the city. Now let's look at the meaning of Torah through a pictorial understanding, or you might understand this to be the sowed explanation of what is Torah. Now, Hebrew is read from right to left, and Torah has the letter Tav, then Vav, then Resh, then He. And anciently, Hebrew is meant to be a, a picture language. So each of these letters are associated with a pictograph which has a particular meaning. So we have here a chart for you of the different Hebrew letters, their pictograph meaning, and the explanation of them. So if we take the word Torah, and if we look at the meaning of the letters from left to right, on the left we have a He. And He in Hebrew has the meaning of Lo, or behold, or, or draw yourself and pay attention to what you're being shown. Then you have the resh, and the resh in Hebrew means a head or that which is first, can be referred to a person. Then we have the vav, and vav in Hebrew means a nail, a peg, a hook, it means and. And then we have the letter tav. And tav means a mark, a sign, or covenant. And so if we then give to you the pictograph meaning of Torah, we would have the following. And we're looking at the pictograph meaning from left to right. 
And it would communicate the following message. He, meaning behold. Resh, meaning head or a man. Vav, meaning nail. And Tav, meaning mark or covenant. So, behold the man nailed to the cross. Behold the man nailed and is nailed because of covenant. And so we can see that Torah itself is referring to the Messiah dying on the tree. The rabbis teach that the Torah in creation became physical. From the art scroll of Genesis and in the introduction on page 43, they explain, with the event of creation, the Torah, which is the word of God, assumed physical garb, just as the soul clothes itself in a human body to assume earthly life. So we have this principle that the Torah becomes physical. Well, this is what's explained in John chapter 1. We're in verse 1. It is written, In the beginning was the Word. The Word is the Torah. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeshua is the Word. He is the living Torah. Since the Torah became physical in creation, then the Word, the living Torah as well, became flesh, became physical, and dwelt among us, as we're told in John chapter 1 in verse 14. This is consistent with Hebraic thought and teaching regarding creation. In the book, Anticipating the Redemption by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, volume 1, page 44, he explains that the Torah is like or resembles man. From the verse in Numbers chapter 19, verse 14. This is the Torah, a man. That the Torah is likened to or resembles man. We are now going to look at the ten sephirot in the context of being three pillars of the Godhead. And this explanation comes from the book, The Middle Pillar, by James Trim on page 23, where he writes, The ten sephirot are arranged on a chart known as the tree of life. The tree of life is also a term for the Torah. And they are under three columns known as the three pillars of the Godhead. Now, because the sephirot are meant to teach the attributes of God, in human terms, those attributes have male and female characteristics. And the masculine aspect of the Godhead is often called father, while the feminine is often called mother or the ruach. And the reconciling of these two in between is called the son of Yah. If we take the ten sephirot of the sephirotic tree and represent them as three pillars, 
where one pillar refers to father, another mother, and another son, that the attributes that are associated with the son, that those attributes are numbered 1, 6, 9, and 10. And if you add up those attributes that are associated with the middle pillar or the sun, it adds up to 26. And 26 is the numerical value of yod Hey vav Hey, giving you a connection that the middle pillar, the sun, is associated with being yod Hey vav Hey. Pictorially, it would look like this. We have the three pillars and those attributes that are associated with the one pillar is three, five, and eight. The other pillar, two, four, and seven. But the middle pillar, called the son of Yah, its attributes have the numerical value of one, six, nine, and ten, or 26. From the book, the Middle Pillar by James Trim, page 45. He explains, The middle pillar is made up of the Sephirot, Cater, which is one, Tiferet, which is six, Yesod, which is nine, and Malchut, which is ten, which perfectly balance the feminine and masculine characteristics of the father and mother, or masculine pillar and feminine pillar. This is significant because those attributes, 1, 6, 9, 10, add up to 26, which is the gematria or the numerical value of Yahweh, yod Hey vav Hey. The middle column expresses the other two columns in perfect harmony. And once again, we see that it adds up to 26. Therefore... It is the invisible image of Yahweh. The middle pillar represents the invisible image of Yahweh. And this is explained in the book, The Middle Pillar, by James Trim on page 23. Now, this is what Paul is communicating to us, this concept, this principle, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. As it is written, who is the image of the invisible God? The invisible God being Ein Sof. The image of that invisible God is the middle pillar of the Godhead, who is the firstborn of every creature. For by him, that is the image of the invisible God, by him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Next, we're going to look at a pictorial representation of the ten sephirot as a man. The Torah is likened to or the Torah resembles a man. The Torah is the tree of life and the Torah became physical at creation. And so we express this concept then as it relates to the ten sephirot. And so if we take 
yod hey vav hey and if we write it or express it vertically the yod is going to resemble the head of a man and then the hey is going to represent the shoulders and the arms of a man the vav the the trunk or the midsection of a man and then the hey is going to represent the legs we can see a color graphic of this uh, in the following way how yod hey vav hey written vertically is going to resemble a man next we're going to look at the godhead as an expression of adam cadmon and this is explained in the book by james trim the middle pillar on page 59 the Godhead, which we have discussed in detail in the previous chapter, is manifested not only as the tree of life, but also as Adam Kadmon. According to Genesis, man was created in the image of Elohim. This image of Elohim was a manifestation of the Godhead, which served as a model for Adam. Adam Kadmon simply means before Adam. And it refers to the image of Elohim after which Adam was created. In the book, The Middle Pillar by James Trim, on page 61, he explains, Thus the Son of Yah, that is the middle pillar of the Sephardic tree, is not just the tree and the Sephirot, the middle pillar, the son of Yah, is Adam Kadmon, or the image of Elohim. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it is written, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Messiah, who is the image of God, referring to the image of Ein Sof, should shine unto them. Now we look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where it is written, God, referring to Ein Sof, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person adam cadmon now adam cadmon is in the likeness of a man in the middle pillar by james trim on page 62 he explains the adam cadmon was the likeness like the appearance of a man which ezekiel saw upon the throne in ezekiel chapter 1 verse 26 in his Merkavah vision, or the vision of the divine throne chariot. Now, these ten sephirot, as three pillars of supernal light, they're represented this way. From the book, The Middle Pillar by James Trim, page 26, he explains, the three columns of the tree of life chart are known as the three pillars of the Godhead. These three pillars or columns correspond to three supernal lights. 
the Zohar describes the three pillars of the Godhead as follows. Then Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. And Elohim saw that the light was good. Why, it may be asked, was it necessary to repeat the word light in this verse? The answer is that the first light refers to the primordial light, which is of the right hand and is destined for the end of days, while the second light refers to the left hand, which issues from the right. The next words, and God saw the light that it was good, Genesis chapter 1 verse 4, refers to the pillar which standing midway between them unites both sides, meaning the middle pillar. Therefore, when the unity of the three, the right, the left, and the middle, was complete, it was good. Now, in the Zohar, they refer to this middle pillar as the son of Yah. And as referred to in the book by James Trim, the middle pillar, page 44, quoting from the Zohar 2, 115, better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. This neighbor is the middle pillar in the Godhead, which is the son of Yah. Now, there's a term for this middle pillar, and the middle pillar is called Metatron. From the book, The Middle Pillar, by James Trim, page 29, he explains... This middle pillar of the Godhead is also known as Metatron, or the son of Yah. And from the Zohar 3, 227, the middle pillar of the Godhead is Metatron, who has accomplished peace above according to the glorious state there. In describing Metatron, which is the middle pillar of the Godhead, Metatron is associated with light. And this is presented in the book by Rabbi Zavi Nasi in 1863, his book entitled Plurality in the Godhead, or How Can Three Be One? Referring to the Zohar, he writes, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Let there be light. This light is the great God. And God saw the light that it was good. Genesis chapter 1 verse 4. This light is the middle pillar in the Godhead. With this background of understanding creation and how the creation is then associated ultimately with the ten sephirot, and these things are associated with the concept of light in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4, where it says, let there be light, and there was light. Yeshua states in John chapter 8, verse 12, then spake Yeshua again in them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Let's summarize what we have learned in this teaching. 
we have learned the following. Number one, who we understand and refer to as God the Father, he is explained as being ein sof or without definition. And it is taught that no one has seen God the Father or Ain Sof at any time. That is because, number three, God the Father dwells in light that no man can approach, which is mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. Number four, Ain Sof, the one who is without definition, reveals himself to the physical world through the ten sephirot. Number five, Yeshua is Elohim and Yahweh. Number six, Yeshua is the visible image of the one without definition, or Ein Sof. Number seven, Yeshua is Adam Kadmon, or the image of Ein Sof before Adam. Number eight, Yeshua is the son of Ain Sof. Number nine, Yeshua is the Jewish Metatron. Number 10, Yeshua is the middle pillar of the Godhead. Number 11, Yeshua is in the bosom of the Father as was explained in John chapter 1, verse 18. Number 12, Yeshua created the heaven and earth. Number 13, Yeshua is the light of creation. Number 14, Yeshua is the light of the world. So we've given you this teaching to give you the Hebraic background of understanding what is written in the Brit Hadashah, or the New Covenant, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and verse 18, as well as Romans in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, as well as Colossians in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. And finally, this teaching helped explain Hebrews in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So in sharing with you the Hebraic view of creation, the one who we understand as God the Father is described by the rabbis as being Ein Sof, or without definition. And Ein Sof, he reveals himself to the created world through one who is the expressed image of Ein Sof. And we understand the one that is the expressed image of Ein Sof is... Yeshua the Messiah. And the one that is the expressed image of Ein Sof is the one that created the world. And the world was created in Genesis 1.1 using the term Elohim. And Elohim is a term that describes 
attributes or characteristics of Ein Sof, and it's a term that is used to reveal Ein Sof to the created world or to the finite world. So given that uh, the rabbis do not teach that Ein Sof created the heavens and the earth, but it was the light of Ein Sof that created the heavens and the earth, and it was the expressed image of Ein Sof that created the heavens and the earth, the expressed image of Ein Sof is of Ein Sof. Since Yeshua is the expressed image of Ein Sof, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, he therefore must be Yahweh. And so in sharing with you this teaching on explaining the creation, we have shared with you that Yeshua is the one that created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1, verse 3, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, and Hebrews in chapter 1 and verse 3. And this is consistent with the Hebraic view of creation. So this is the conclusion of part one of our series in explaining from a Hebraic perspective that Yeshua is Yahweh. Now, this is a part of the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Discipleship Program. And if you would like to be a part of the discipleship program where we offer monthly teachings in CDs as well as DVDs, you may write to the ministry, Post Office Box 81, Strasburg, Ohio. Strasburg is S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Or you may send us an email, and you may write to us at the email address of contactus at hebroots.org. And you can also sign up and subscribe to the Discipleship Program through the Hebraic Heritage Ministries website, www.hebroots.org, where you can do so at the Hebraic Heritage Ministries web store. Now, remember always these words from 1 John in chapter 2 and verse 6. He who says he abides in him, or he who says that he's a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah, ought himself to walk. That means deliver lives even as he walked. And how did Yeshua walk or how did he live his life? He followed the commandments of his father. Even so, he instructed those who believe on him in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.